The seeds of David's sin take root in the lives of his children. A reading from 2 Samuel 13, beginning with verse 1. Some time later, David's son, Amnon, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, who was also David's son. Amnon was so upset over his half-sister that he made himself sick. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible in Amnon's view to do anything to her. But Amnon had a very clever friend named Jonadab, who was David's brother's David's brother Shimea's son. Prince, Jonadab said to him, why are you so down morning after morning? Tell me about it. So Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Lie down in your bed and pretend to be sick, Jonadab said to him. When your father comes to see you, tell him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I can watch and eat from her own hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. The king came to see him, and Amnon told the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of heart-shaped cakes in front of me so I can eat from her own hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made heart-shaped cakes in front of him, and then cooked them. She took the pan and served Amnon, but he refused to eat. Everyone leave me, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food to the bedroom so I can eat from your hand. So Tamar took the heart-shaped cakes she had made and brought them to her brother Amnon in the bedroom. When she served him the food, he grabbed her and said, Come have sex with me, my sister. But she said to him, No, my brother, don't rape me. Such a thing shouldn't be done in Israel. Don't do this vile thing. Think about me. Where could I hide my shame? And you, you would become like a fool in Israel. Please, just talk to the king. He won't keep me from marrying you. But Amnon refused to listen to her. He was stronger than she was, and so he raped her. But then Amnon felt intense hatred for her. In fact, his hatred was for her was greater than the love he had ever felt for her. So Amnon told her, get out of here. No, my brother, she said. Sending me away would be worse than the wrong you've already done. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He summoned his young servant and said, get this woman out of my presence 
and lock the door after her. She was wearing a long-sleeved robe because that's what the virgin princesses wore as garments. So Amnon's servant put her out and locked the door after her. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long-sleeved robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and walked away, crying as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has your brother Amnon been with you? Keep quiet about it for now, sister. He's your brother. Don't let it bother you. So Tamar, a broken woman, lived in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard about all this, he got very angry. But he refused to punish his son Amnon because he loved him as his oldest child. Absalom never spoke to Amnon, good word or bad, because he hated him for raping his sister Tamar. And now, good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts in this room together be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, peace to you, brothers and sisters, and grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the seventh message in our series from the life of David. Uh, There are three more episodes, and the good news is there are some brighter moments coming in David's story. The bad news is today is not one of them. Today actually focuses not on David, but on a member of his family. The story is about as painful as it gets, uh, and as with the story from two weeks ago, involves rape and sexual trauma. This is a story of betrayal, betrayal inflicted upon an innocent, Tamar, David's daughter. We're invited today to stand beside her and to listen to her and to receive what she has to say to us. Full confession, I hadn't planned to preach this text today. It's not the one printed in your order of worship this morning. But after a conversation with someone this week, this text has been pulling at me, and I knew it needed to stand in the light. The story that Chelsea just read now is part of a much longer narrative involving David's family that includes anger, bitterness, incest, rape, murder, and rebellion among David's now-grown children. This is what the prophets warned about when Israel started pressing them for a king. Kings often wind up giving in to the temptations of their own power, and eventually they overstep. They take what doesn't belong to them, as David took Bathsheba, as David killed her husband in the cover-up. And even though the prophet Nathan calls David out about that, and David confesses his sin, the king still gets what he wants in the end, Bathsheba. And who is watching the king during this entire episode? His offspring, 
Children are always watching their parents. They learn from our actions. David's sons are watching him, Amnon, the firstborn, and Absalom, the third son by another mother. David's daughter is also watching, Tamar, Absalom's sister. They all know what happened. Dad wanted and dad took because he could, and he got away with it. And so today's story almost feels like a foregone conclusion in this house that David has built. There is a grief that may be worse even than death. There's a pain that may be worse than when someone you love dies. Surely the ultimate suffering comes when someone you trust betrays you, especially when it's someone in your own family, someone you love. Tamar is betrayed by her brother, who is a predator, by her father, who is shamefully passive, by people who served in her household since she was a child and who looked the other way while she was being abused. This story can be traumatic to read since statistics tell us that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused by the age of 18 in the United States. Many who read this story will connect very quickly with what's unfolding here and with Tamar's pain. You heard the story just now. There are so many moments in this horrific text in which things could have gone differently. Amnon had so many opportunities in this scene to stop himself, to make different choices, to seek wiser counsel than that of the scheming Jonadab. The bystanders, servants in the king's house, watching it all unfold yet remaining silent. And the bystander's script is one we would all do well to take to heart. We may not be servants of an ancient king in the Bronze Age whose lives would be in peril if we so much sneeze in the prince's presence. But we know what it's like to be part of the crowd that's watching, witnessing, choosing not to get involved when others suffer. Choosing to hang back, to remain silent when the violence is done. Choosing to ignore what's happening to someone we're not technically responsible for. It's none of our business. It's not our job. And certainly David has opportunity in this story to make different choices. He has a chance to be a father to Tamar and Amnon. But especially to Tamar, who has no power in this equation. This is one of those signal moments in David's life, and he utterly blows it. He won't step up, won't protect his daughter, perhaps because stepping up would have required him to face the truth of how his own actions have shaped his children. Tamar, on the other hand, delivers what Anna Anna Carter Florence describes as probably the most rhetorically perfect argument in Scripture— The case against rape from start to finish. Notice what she says. No, I'm saying no. You're my brother. We don't do this in Israel. It's not who we are. This act has an adjective, vile. What would happen to me? I have nowhere to go. What would happen to you? You'd be one of the fools in Israel. It's an astonishing speech. In the end, though, it doesn't hold against Amnon's power. He is stronger 
And so he forces her because he can. He wants and takes because he can. David's precedent lives on in his family. And then in a final act of treachery against Tamar, Amnon turns out his sister, turns her out of the house in rage and loathing, no doubt, born of guilt. Amnon calls his servants and orders him to put this woman, he doesn't use her name anymore, put this woman out and bolt the door after her. But again, what Tamar does next is a breathtaking act of resistance in the wake of this crime. Tamar responds by tearing her robe, putting ashes on her head, and taking to the corridors, crying aloud as she goes. It's been described as a mourning script, a script of grieving, but also a prophetic script. The prophets of Israel cried aloud in times of injustice, and Tamar makes sure that everyone in the palace sees and hears, even though Amnon won't. Like a good activist, she makes a scene. And it's as though she's crying, look at me, listen to me. This is courage, and it's worthy of respect. There are other heartbreaking moments in this text, places where it could have gone differently, but I'm going to mention just two more from within the family. Tamar's brother Absalom advises her to be quiet for now. Even though Absalom, as we see later, I think genuinely loves Tamar. He advises her not to say anything from now, and this is a script that too many women and men are handed even today. Don't say anything. Don't ruin someone else's reputation. This is the voice of the oppressor. And Tamar's father, King David, hears of what has happened, and the text says he's angry but will not punish his firstborn son. And this script continues to play out all over the world in the sentencing of men convicted of assault. If you are here today and you are someone for whom Tamar's story strikes a painfully personal note, I simply want to say God sees you. Your pain matters, your voice matters. And I would say to all of us in the church, it's time for us to speak out for those who are suffering, not to stand in the shadows, not to stand aside, but to speak. Well, there's more pain coming to David's household, spoiler alert, more betrayal. We get a foreshadowing of that at in this ominous conclusion at today's text, Absalom is seething with rage and hatred for his brother Amnon. We'll pick up this story next week. But I simply want to say, I know it's not lost on us today that this horrific story comes to us on, of all days, All Saints Sunday. If there, if there is a saint in today's story, clearly it's Tamar. The rest of our story, our ancestors in this story, really, as we, as we watch them act today, make us want to hang our heads and walk away. Scripture calls David a man after God's own heart, but so many of these scenes leave us wondering why. 
But you know what? This actually seems about right on All Saints. On All Saints, we come face to face with all the sticky ambiguities of the human condition, the ambiguities of our faith. On All Saints Day, we want racists and rapists and betrayers and guilty bystanders to stay in the sinner box where they all belong. When they start sneaking into the saint box, that's when we get nervous. See, that's not how it works. Nadia Bowles Weber tells about an All Saints moment at the church where she used to pastor a house for all saints and sinners in Denver. On All Saints Sunday, they, they have this habit, this, this practice of inviting everyone to bring various items of remembrance of the people in their lives who have died. Eyeglasses, a pair of gloves, a handkerchief, uh, or, or to write these names on simple little index cards. Well, a few years ago on All Saints, Nadia was admiring the items on the table spread out, lovingly arranged uh, that people had, had brought. She was reading the little index cards, the names on them, when suddenly she saw a name on one of the cards that made her wince, Alma White. Alma White was a woman who founded the Pillar of Fire Church in Denver in 1901. Nadia had discovered a few weeks earlier this fact when she was reading the inscription plaque on the church's building. She just happened to be walking by. And she was thrilled to find that there was a church started by a woman at the turn of the last century, no less. Score one for progressivism. So she wanted to know more about Alma White. And so she went to White's Wikipedia page, Alma Bridwell White, 1862 to 1946, who was the founder and bishop of Pillar of Fire Church, was noted for her feminism, yay, and her association with, wait for it, the Ku Klux Klan, her anti-Catholicism, anti-Semitism, racism, and hostility to immigrants. Sigh. The next day, Nadia called her friend Sarah to tell her the story of how she thought she had a hero, only to find out she was just another lousy racist. And Sarah responded with these words. She said, Nadia, email me her name, and I'll add her to the litany of saints, along with all the other broken people of God. And so Alma White, the racist, got an index card on the All Saints table that year, along with Mary Magdalene and Cesar Chavez and Francis of Assisi. On All Saints Day, we want the bad people to stay in the bad people box, away from the good people, and maybe even away from good people like us, because we're all, always likely to give ourselves a lighter sentence. But see, what makes us the saints of God is not our ability to be saintly, but rather God's ability to work through sinners. The title saint is always conferred, never earned. As Paul put it, for it is God who is at work in you, both enabling you to will and to work for God's good pleasure. And so what we celebrate in the lives of the saints is not their piety or their perfection, but a God who gets redemptive and holy things done in the world through, of all things, human beings, all of whom are flawed. 
And what this means, and what I think is the best of news, is that God can use even us, despite the fact that we, in so many ways, are as flawed as we are faithful. And so, brothers and sisters, thanks be to God for that news, at least. And let's pray together. God of the abused, God of abusers, God of saints and sinners like us, teach us to speak up for the voiceless, to be more than bystanders and witnesses to the suffering of others, and break our hearts at the injustices of this world. Bind us to you and to your will and way, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.